Jeff, and um, hope you guys are doing well. It's been a real crazy few days, right, bro? <laughs> to say the least, man. Uh, I, I was saying before we hit record, uh, I am shocked and, and saddened by what happened, but not at all surprised. I think we all knew a day like this was coming, and as horrible as it was, uh, it could have been a lot worse. So I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad for that, at least. Yeah, we're referring to the activity of the, you know, the, the week of, uh, of January 6th. So, um, you know, this is going to come out a couple of weeks, a couple of days later, a couple of weeks later, actually. So, um, yeah, man, it's almost like we're living in a uh, episode of uh, the Black Mirror. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, up is down and uh, the, the truth doesn't matter. And uh, sides seem to have flipped. All of a sudden, these people who who claim that Blue Lives Matter are uh, are killing police now, and breaking the law is patriotic. Uh, I, I don't understand this at all. It's disgusting and disheartening. And you know, I hoped that this was all going to go away when he lost the election, but it, it's just gotten so much worse. And who knows what's going to happen once Joe Biden finally takes office? I. Uh, completely unpredictable at this point also like on an optics level back you remember back in the day uh at least when i was a kid there you know the image of storming the Capitol was like by the you know the punks you know trying to uh you know bring down right. the man you know fight the man fight the system fuck the system you know like this um you know kind of punk rock like left-leaning vibe you know the bad brains you know that kind of thing and uh little did we know that it was going to be this uh, neo-fascist, uh, white supremacist uh, move to storm the Capitol. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny and ironic. Yeah, it, it's completely insane. And just days before that, uh, you had Trump on tape trying to uh, tell the Secretary, Secretary of State to uh, find 12,000 votes for him or 11,000 votes for him. Um, I listened to that entire phone call on uh at, at work it was an hour long it was grueling to get through but i, I couldn't believe what i was hearing you know at one, i used to think i was like i think uh trump knows he lost this is all theater trying to save face trying to scam money out of people after listening to that call i really believe he's completely delusional it's possible man there's all sorts of uh you know mental instabilities that this guy has demonstrated so who knows yeah, and I mean, you know, banning him from Twitter, I think it's, you know, maybe, maybe too little, too late. We'll see. Yeah, well, let's, uh, let's avoid getting too deep into politics on this. We're trying to uh, provide some escapism from the realities of this uh, dystopian, right, exactly. dystopian America that we live in. <laughs> Other than watching the world go crazy, Mike, did you check out anything else since we last talked? I have actually. Um, really excited. Uh, I checked out this um, HBO series called Thirty Coins. Oh, Thirty Coins. What's that about? Um, I watched the first episode. Uh, my buddy Ralph Schmidt, who uh, 
I've done a bunch of uh, uh, Metal Matters episodes with, and he's a good, good friend of mine. He recommended it to me, and it's a, a European uh, series on HBO having to do with uh, what appears to be the return of the Antichrist. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's Spanish, so, you know, Spain is like a very Roman Catholic vibe in that country, and uh, it involves a, a Jesuit priest who is an exorcist, and um, I mean, it's a. I would say it's definitely inspired by the you know the Blatty uh, book Exorcism, you know, The Exorcist, and the film, um, you know, the William Friedkin film, obviously. And um, yeah, yeah, it just kind of goes into all this these different directions. Like there's uh, religion, a little bit of cosmic horror, um, anything that has to do with uh, Catholic imagery. I always find very fascinating being a having grown up Roman Catholic myself. So that stuff is always fascinating to me. And it's on HBO Max, you said? Yeah, it's on HBO Max. Oh, I didn't even know that. I have HBO Max. Uh, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds, uh, that sounds interesting. It's very, very good. Very good. And uh, awesome. Mike and I did a, uh, you know, an episode about Dario Argento recently, and um, we were talking about American Giallo films and uh, moves that, mm. movies that we've considered to be Gialli that are actually produced in this country. So as a result of that, I watched uh, Dress to Kill by Brian De Palma. Um, and it has everything that a typical uh, classic giallo has in it. You got, you know, there's a lot of sex. There's like some weird perversion mm -hmm. aspect to it. There's, you know, knives and gloved hands, you know, abusive cops, like all this, all this stuff yeah. is in it, you know. It's a, it's a little absurd and kind of doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, um, yeah. Early De Palma is fantastic. Even later, De Palma is always fun to watch, at least. Yeah, the um, there's also a film we did called Body Double, which I think is quite good. Body Double, yeah. Um, that was around the same time as uh, Dress to Kill, right? Like early 80s? Yeah, early to mid 80s. Uh, that was kind of his heyday. And... Um, yeah, for sure. Chron chronologically, uh, you know, Giallo films started in like the late 60s and sort of petered out like in the early 80s. So I feel like um, De Palma was kind of mining that influence during that period. Yeah, I can see that. It's funny. I never really put it together. What, uh, what else do you consider like an American Giallo? Cruising. Definitely. Cruising? Yeah. I mean, if you, oh, really, wow. if you yeah. really think about it, if you, I mean, first of all, I think Cruising is a brilliant movie, number one. It's like yeah, you always, love that movie. always been one of my favorites. And if you really think about it, you got, um, you know, a knife-wielding killer. You're not really sure who it is. There's some red herrings in the movie. Um, you know, women aren't being killed. It's, it's uh, men that are in, like, a very specific uh, subset within the gay community. And um, stylistically, I think it's very much in line with um, with uh, Italian giallo films. Hmm. And that's also William Freakin, right? He did yep. that? William Freakin did that one as well. Yeah. And you have Al Pacino before he kind of became a caricature of himself back when he was still uh, giving performances and not just sort of doing his uh, woo-ha thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, that was, once again, Pacino's, that was his uh, high point. You know, he was like, um, you know, the late 70s, the 70s and most of the 80s, I feel like, was some of Pacino's best work, really, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, 
Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather, Cruising. Um, I mean, Scarface, uh, people consider that a classic. That movie is, is kind of goofy and hasn't really aged well. My thing with Scarface is that it's a, uh, a high-dollar exploitation film. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you, if you watch it with that lens, I feel like you can really enjoy the movie. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I uh, finally got to watch Tenet. Oh, okay. Um, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I would have loved to have seen this in IMAX as it was intended. But as big of a Nolan fan as I am, I think... Have you seen this yet? Have you seen Tenet yet? No, we, we were talking about me checking it out, but uh, it's kind of a lengthy film, and I need to devote the appropriate amount of time to it. Yeah, it's over two and a half hours, and it's, it's strange that the movie feels like it moves too fast and also feels slow at the same time. Like, you feel the runtime. Christopher Nolan has some weird rhythms and impulses to his movies, and I think he... like. You know, they, they, they move really quick. And this movie is so dense with plot that it has blink and you miss it details. And 20 minutes in, I mean, I was, I was pretty confused watching this movie. And, uh, and by the end, it wasn't much clear what had happened. And as beautiful as this was to look at, I mean, the, the stunts, the practical effects, everything is great. But the movie, it, it was kind of a kind of a dud in a way like i just didn't quite understand it i found it cold and impenetrable and not much of a joy to watch it at all yeah i um i'm still gonna check it out i just it's definitely like a a weekend type film because of the runtime and you know during the most most of the day you know i work during the day and at night you know i want to make sure i give it proper attention right um yeah, you should definitely check it out. It's, I mean, it, it, it's beautiful. It's it's well constructed. I just didn't really understand what was happening, and it doesn't feel like a movie with any actual characters. It's just people spouting off lines. It was just, I don't know. It didn't do it for me. I think it's probably one of my least favorite Christopher Nolan movies. Well, I'm I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a bummer. I was really looking forward to it. Um, Another thing you mentioned, HBO. I uh, started watching an HBO show too called "I'll Be Gone in the Dark." The title is awesome. It sounds like it's something. Just the title alone makes me want to watch it. So, what what's the story with this one? Well, it's a docu series about the Golden State Killer, but actually, it's more about the woman who wrote the book about the Golden State Killer and about you know she's not a detective; she's just some amateur like sleuth who you know, just put this massive thing together and she passed away before the book was published and the killer was caught after the book was published. A lot of that has to do because of her work. It's a really interesting story. She was married to comedian Pat Oswald, who was in the documentary uh, quite a bit. And it's sad and and tragic and endlessly fascinating. I, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I think I, it's on my list of things to check out for sure. Yeah, we've been wanting to check it out for a while, so we just, you know, we finally got to it. Um, yeah, that's what I've been watching. Right on. So that brings us to tonight's feature film, which is uh, Society. And uh, it's one of the most over-the-top, 
<laughs> black comedy, uh, after school special slash body horror films I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, hey man, this is a weird one. Um, did you see this when you were a kid? Yes. Or younger? Oh, yeah. Did you? Yep. I have an interesting history. Like, I remember, do you remember, you know, the E-Network the e um, used to be called, it used to be Movie Time back in the 80s. And Movie Time would have, like, it was like a 24-hour thing. They, they didn't have, like, shows. They would do, like, little segments, like five minutes segments here and there. And they'd do, like, you know, 10 or 20 and then just kind of repeat them all day. And I remember them doing something on this movie and, and showing some of the scenes, uh, the special effects, and being like really, really like, oh my God, this looks, this looks crazy. And I was like 11 or something at the time, or 10. Um, but then I didn't actually see the movie uh, until I think about 10 years ago. I don't know what it had. I don't think, I think it had some sort of trouble with its release. Like it, it, it was made in the 80s, but didn't come out until like 92 or something. Yeah, yeah. So maybe by then I lost interest. Yeah, well, well, I'm gonna, I was going to mention that. Like, I didn't see it when I was a kid. Okay. I didn't see it when I was a kid, but I saw it, like, you know, in my younger years because uh, by the time it came out, I was a full-grown man, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't see it until 10 years ago, and I think I, I have a copy of it on Region 2. It wasn't on, I don't think it was released in America on DVD at that point. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing that went on with this film. So um, it was directed by Brian Yuzna, who was the producer with Stuart Gordon on Reanimator and From Beyond. So this is uh, a film he directed, and it was uh, written by Wood Keith and Rick Fry with uh, special effects. <laughs> uh, special effects by Screaming Mad George, a famed... Uh, it's sur surreal special effects. <laughs> yeah. A uh, famed um, Japanese uh, effects master, you know. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he's like a pretty well-known guy, Screaming Mad George. With a name like Screaming Mad George, I pictured a guy in like a gray beard and a cowboy hat just coming on the set, spraying blood everywhere, kicking things over. It's like, hey, that's what he does, man. He's Screaming Mad George. He's Japanese. Ah, insane. What other movies has he done? Off the top of my head, uh, I can't recall, but a bunch of like films that were made in Japan. And uh, he's, uh, I mean, it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because in you know, Japanese horror back in the 80s and the 90s was sort of in, you know, had a lot of these types of effects in it. You know, like the like the guinea pig series was like super gory. And um, yeah, so there was a lot of, a lot uh, of that going on, you know. Did you feel a Japanese influence on this movie at all? I noticed when we were watching the intro while the credits were playing, uh, there's scenes from the movie playing underneath it. Um, and the, uh, my girlfriend who I watched with pointed out, it's like, oh, that's kind of a, 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 a Japanese thing. And even the song that was playing over the credits seemed to have a, 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 a little bit of influence there. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I mean, possibly. I didn't. It, there were other things that came to the forefront in this movie, though. Like, uh, you know, some of it being almost like a extreme after school special in some ways. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I picked up on that as well. Yeah. You want to run down the uh, credits first before we get too, too into it? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, so it was released. Some of this is about the release information here. So it was released in the UK in 1989, but it was shelved in the US until June 1992. And uh, it was actually a hit in, the, in Europe 
but there were there it did not there was really little to no interest upon its release in the United States. And uh, you know, there was problems with censors, you know, all that kind of kind of business that you would expect. And uh, it did not do well in the United States. I don't think the uh, American people were quite ready for this type of freedom of expression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it is a strange movie structurally. I mean, I, it's definitely a tough sell to an audience, you know, like, it, it, it's like you said, like the first hour is like a, like a kind of a weirder after school special and then just explodes in the last half hour into full on body or yeah, uh, runtime uh, ninety nine minutes, which is you know a little bit long. Um, mm. Run down the cast real quick. We got Billy Warlock. Um, is I guess you would consider him the star of the movie. He plays Bill Whitney. Now um, Billy Warlock was on Baywatch, and he's also the son of Dick Warlock, who played uh, Michael Myers in Halloween Two, and he also played an android in Halloween Three. I don't know if you were aware of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was not. Yeah. So he's, uh, you know, there's like some, uh, you know, lineage, a legacy going on with these two guys. Uh, Connie Denise um, as uh, Nan Whitney, uh, Billy's mom. Uh, Patrice uh, Jennings as Jenny Whitney, his sister. Charles Lucia as Jim Whitney, his dad. Now, that's that's the family, okay? Uh, Some of the other characters, we got Ben Slack which is his uh, creepy therapist. Uh, Tim Bartell <laughs> as David Blanchard, which is Jenny's boyfriend, and he plays like a, kind of a key role in this thing, even though he's more in the background. Evan mm. Richards is Milo. That's Billy's kind of sidekick. And uh, you probably, you might, I don't know if you agree with me, but there, might, there was a little bit of uh, possible uh, sexual tension between those two gentlemen. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, We'll right? get to that. Yeah. I think uh, so, yeah. especially with that. We, uh, we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Heidi Kozak plays Shauna, Billy's uh, blonde girlfriend, and I'll get into why this is important. Devin DeVasquez as Clarissa Carlin, which is uh, kind of his dark-haired um, you know, muse in some ways that kind of leads him into danger. And... Uh, she also, she was um, a Playboy uh, playmate, actually. And, um, ah, okay. Yeah, the month of June 1985, she had a pictorial in Playmate, uh, Playboy, rather. She authored okay. a I book. I can see that. She authored a book called The Naked Truth About Pinup Models, which includes an interview with Betty Page. And she dated Prince and Sylvester Stallone. At the same time? Well, I don't know about <laughs> the same time. Um, uh. Yeah, that, that's basically the core. Um, we got Pamela Matheson is, uh, you know, Caitlin's mother. Uh, I'm sorry, Cal- Clarissa's mother. I don't know where I got Caitlin from. And uh, she's kind of like this odd character where there's really no explanation as to what she actually is or she's just kind of this set piece in the film. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I feel, I feel like a lot about that this movie is like that. Like, on one level, this movie, I I'm really can't wait to hear what you think of this one. Because um, on one, one level, it really works as like an 80s nostalgia throwback and a crazy weird horror movie. But on another level, like th- this movie really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like the plot is, it doesn't make uh, a, a ton of sense. I agree with you hundred there, percent. There's tons of holes in the narrative. Um, 
you know, there's there's even just things that just don't really um, like play out as far as uh, having any logic, you know. And I on, I think that a lot maybe there's like another cut of this film where some of these things might have been tied up tied together because uh, you know Brian Yuzna I have a, a feeling. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's been around the block. He was working with Stuart Gordon. I mean, it was kind of like, a, I think it's a shoddy edit, the one that actually made it out to the screens, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah, it seems like it seems like there's just so much missing, so much that isn't explained and things that like, like don't go anywhere. Uh, that, yeah, it feels like, you know, even at 99 minutes, it's kind of long. It feels like it needed like a few more minutes to explain some, some things that were happening. Well, you know, you know, like in uh, the process of making a film, and uh, you know, I've seen this uh, kind of in my limited involvement in filmmaking. Uh, so much of it is up to the editor. You know, like the actual narrative is really up to whoever edits the film. You know, and and then of course the director and they have like their input. But if you can't quite get the cut right, it fucks up the whole narrative. So I mean. That's why I feel like there might be some cut of this movie or some director's version that has a different, a better narrative, uh, you know, point to it. But we'll probably never see that because this movie really is just a little more than a cult film for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's still relatively obscure. Uh, I feel like most people don't really know about this movie. Most people, you know, when I mentioned well, we're going to talk about it, I think most people hadn't seen it yet. Well, it's on Shutter right now. If you if you guys have Shutter, and it was covered on one of uh, I think it was season one of the Joe Bob Briggs uh, Drive-In um, show. So, uh, but oh, I, okay. I'd actually seen this uh, over the years, probably about three or four times, and um, it's a movie that has always fascinated me, just because of not so much. Oh yeah, it's a great movie, but the feelings that I get during it. You know what I mean? There's a lot of um, kind of impressionistic stuff in this film that uh, I think has a lot of value. Um, you know, a lot of it being the late 80s when it was produced. And, you know, it's just, um, I think, very much of its time because there is, a, you know, it's an anti-ruling class kind of, uh, you know, commentary. Um, in some ways, it's like a coming-of-age film. You know, it has to do with paranoia, you know, um, and just like distrust of the establishment, you know, and that's like uh, similar to like they live. I think there's like I'm not saying they're similar or they're at the, even even of the same quality, but they're I think good examples of like movies that were made in the late '80s that deal with social issues. Yeah, absolutely. Like that came to mind. Rosemary's Baby came to mind a little bit, a little bit of like The Wicker Man too. Like like this this kid's playing a larger part in something, and he doesn't know it yet um even though that didn't really in the end make a whole lot of sense but you know whatever um yeah there's a lot going on it's an ambitious movie it doesn't doesn't quite connect all of the dots though no for me like there's like great ideas here and there some good scenes and but it, it's just frustrating how it just doesn't quite come together but i mean the last half hour of the movie makes it all worth it for, yeah. for me Let's just go through a couple of high points, some highlights of the plot. I mean, uh, the basic story is uh, Billy is uh, what I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's not genetically related to uh, his sister and parents because he's this kind of 
Staten Island looking, dark haired, you know, Mediterranean looking guy. <laughs> and his family, his sister and his two parents are like these like Aryan, blonde, Southern California types. You know what I mean? Right. And, you know, he feels like um, he's an outsider for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wrote that down and I didn't quite understand why he felt like such an outsider. Like he's, you know, these aren't people who are new to money or are new to the neighborhood. It looks like they, you know, they're Beverly Hills. He's been rich his whole life. He's on the debate team. He plays basketball. And we know that because he has hoops uh, as a, uh, a vanity plate on his Jeep, which made me laugh. That's like if you had like metal on your, like, you, you on I, your car I, for a license plate. If I, if I had that, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so he doesn't really seem like a, a, an outsider. He's got like uh, a... a pretty blonde girlfriend um you know he's, he's got friends so i never really quite understood the outsider aspect of it he didn't do a very good job of making it seem that way like he's not a geek or anything like that he seems like uh, excuse me seems like he's a uh, pretty cool well in, in context of the movie right except for the fact that there's um that guy uh ferguson the the his which you know ends up being his uh foil in the film and there is this like elite upper crust of uh of the school which mm. he's barred from being a member of even though his sister and his family are embraced by that uh strata of their of their little society there you know and, right yeah because like you know his fa his parents are rich his uh you know, his sister is accepted by them. And then there's that scene on the beach where his, his girlfriend, Shauna, is like, oh, hey, you know, maybe you can pull some strings and get us invited to, uh, you know, Ferguson's party. Right. And he goes over to the guy and the guy punks him out a little bit, you know. And yeah, that, it, that, it, that's yeah. kind of like where you get the sense that he isn't really like accepted in, in that circle, really. Right. And yeah, you mentioned the girlfriend wanting to get invited. That's another like thing that didn't connect like. Like, it, she's ambitious, she wants to be a part of this, and they thought maybe you'd see her at the end. But, like, it doesn't really go anywhere. That character just kind of disappears, like, halfway through the movie. Well, yeah, th I mean, there's... The ending itself has a lot of problems, you know. Uh, but, I mean, it's all just this kind of... Like you, you said before, there's a lot of concepts here that are cool. But just the mechanism in which they're trying to explore these things, I don't think was really executed too well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. And like, this movie takes a long time to get going. Like, it's not like your standard horror movie in the 80s where you have like an opening sort of kill or explanation. Then you have like little, you know, deaths or something happen throughout the movie. This is really just like pretty steady up until the insane ending. I mean, you get little hints here and there, like it's just, just taking a shower and, uh, he goes in to get lotion to go to the beach and you see that like, what's her, her head looks like it's on backwards or like her, it yeah. looks like her torso's facing the other way. You get little hints like that and it's really cool, but there's really not a whole lot of them. Well, I, I kind of feel like even his intera his interactions with the therapist, you know, he has these mm -hmm. dreams and, you know, like, like he feels like more like an atmosphere of anxiety and uh, the, the therapist is, you know, part of the society, we'll call it, you know, call it what it is. And throughout the film, the therapist is just trying to gaslight him and think it's like, well, there's nothing wrong with you, you know. And there's there's always these these references to, oh, you'll play, you'll be a, a 
sacred part of society. You'll, you'll play an important role in society. And there's like this kind of a menacing vibe to that. And, um, you know, then there's like the, the, uh, the audio tape of his sister and her like coming out party, you know, and the incest, yeah. you know, and all this other stuff. That's, that's like when things really start cracking in this film is like when you start real on that, realizing that the parents are like, you know, fucking everyone and the, the, the sisters like getting fucked by the parents and, you know, and everyone's like, you know, doing all this sketchy like shit together. Yeah. That's interesting. You don't see that scene. You hear it. Um, we should say that the sister has an ex-boyfriend who records them by, did he say he put a recording device under their car? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause that's how it works. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you, you, you hear everything clear as day. Yep. And apparently they're having the orgy in the car because you hear that, too. Which um, does, that doesn't make any sense either, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. What was, uh, even before you learn of the incestuous relationship with the uh, the parents and the daughter, there seemed to be, like, I, like it was going somewhere with Billy and his sister. Did, did you get that vibe? I think, like, honestly, every aspect of this movie has, like, sexual tension in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. every every party, and, everything. The parents, the parents and Billy, Billy and the sister. You know, everyone. Milo and Billy. Everyone wants to fuck each other in this movie. You know, and then yeah, you know, dine and then copulate, as they say in the movie. And, right. Uh, well, what, what what did he think the uh, coming out party was supposed to be? Because in reality, it's her, I guess, becoming part of society. But like. They're openly talking about it like it's a normal thing. Well, amongst their amongst that group of people, you know, um, I mean, or first of all, the rich people in this community are aliens. Or I mean, they actually lead you right. to believe that the entire, you know, upper class in this country or possibly the world are all aliens because there's like a reference to like, oh yeah, we have an opening in Washington or whatever, you know. So, right, right. Um, you know, it, it it plays up that. Um, you know, conspiracy theory, like possible, you know, like the reptilian ruling class, the aliens, like the people who run the world are aliens, like that kind of thing, which is, which I love. I mean, I love that shit, you know, and uh, right. So her coming out party, they don't really tell you exactly what it is. But all I can say that, you know, for a fact is that it involves people having sex with each other and maybe transforming into these other fucking fleshy flesh piles that we see later on in the movie, you know? Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, there's just some, like, I also noticed that the, the girlfriend he had kind of resembled his sister too. Exactly. Maybe it was because it was, uh, they were blonde. Like, you, I don't think that was, uh, accidental. I think it was intentional. I mean, I, that's what I'm trying to say. There's like so much like little subtle things in this film. Like, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, Billy's not really related to them. You know, I mean, right. they're not even human. Right. They never really quite explain what they are, though, do they? Or, like, you can be born one or you can become one. You're not really sure what their goals are or what they they just seem to, to devalue uh, high society, money, things like that. Well, I think it was, I mean, maybe it's because I've seen the movie four times and I've, like, kind of already processed <laughs> it this way. But to me, at least, it was pretty clear that they're, like, aliens and that they're have been embedded in in the society of the world, you know, to the extent where they are 
I mean, they actually say that they are feeding off of the poor. You know, so they're right. cons- literally consuming the poor um, so that they can, you know, rule basically and i think you know and that that especially at the time that i saw this film in the early 90s like i was like you know knee deep in like conspiracies and like you know reading about the illuminati and like all this other you know right knights templar and like all that kind of stuff and it was it fed into that fascination that i had with secret societies and mm, uh, interesting and that's kind of what i look at this film as is like society it's like yeah there's a secret society of aliens that appear to be human, that are ruling the world and feeding upon the poor. And the poor exist to kind of serve them literally as food and to do their bidding. Right. Yeah. It kind of made me wonder uh, why adopt Billy in the first place if he's not one of them. So were his family always these aliens or did they become them and Billy couldn't be because he's not one of them? That, that, That didn't really again, didn't, didn't hit, didn't fully come, come to life. It, it didn't make a lot of sense. No, it, it didn't. But, uh, I mean, the end goal of having him around was to feed on him. That was really what, you know, you see at the end, you know, and then the whole thing. Right, about, yeah. You know, and, and I guess that there has to be, in order to, um, I guess they don't just run out there and grab someone off the street, you know, and, and eat them. Because I guess, like, if people started disappearing in the town, you know, there would be like, oh, well, you know, what, what ha- what's happened to all these people? They're just disappearing. So that's why, um, right. you know, sh- uh, his sister, um, you know, Jenny, her sister, uh, her boyfriend, um, the hell's his name? Um, Blanchard. Blanchard, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the beginning, we see Blanchard attack her, right? And it looks like, oh, Jesus, look at this guy. He's like, you know, trying to like rape this young, pretty girl. But yeah. It turns out he disappears because um, they say he's in an accident, right? Oh, my God, terrible. Blanchard was killed in an accident, right? But when they Right, view, they and Billy really sees the body. Yeah, they view the body, and they see that it's, it's actually not a real body, right? So to everyone else in the world, Billy's, um, Blanchard's dead, right? And, and then they, they haul him out at the end, and they feed on him. So that's how they keep the... Um, you know, there's this whole process of like, okay, we we make these people disappear. You know, they're oh, they're dead or they whatever they were killed in a car accident, and that and then they feed on them. Okay, right. Similarly, they they kind of did the same thing with Billy at the end, where he's appears to be dead. You know, and they and that's when they're gonna, right. they're going to haul him out and eat him. You know. Yeah, yeah, that didn't make a, a ton of sense to me either like they they drug him they um they basically fake his death and then bring him his jeep (laughs) and like how would they suspect he'd come back to them wouldn't he just leave or like be like hey i'm not dead (laughs) that totally so much of totally totally doesn't make any sense unless like well let's let's um let's talk about his relationship with uh clarissa real quick because uh i mean ultimately uh, you know, he falls in love with Clarissa, who's an alien. Okay. But, you know, once again, there's this smoldering sexual thing that goes on where he's in his debate team and Clarissa's like sitting in the front row, like spreading her legs. And I'm just like, man, this is like some hardcore uh, sexual, you know, tension being expressed, you know? 
Yeah, she's such an inconsistent character. You're not really sure, like, is she on Billy's side? Is she against him? Like, she doesn't, like, that seems like she doesn't behave in any sort of normal way. No. Uh, and, and then, like, she inexplicably takes a, a liking to Billy. So you think, oh, he's, she's going to, you know, lead him to, like, you know, his downfall or, like, you know, to be eaten or whatever. But, like, no, she, she falls in love with him, uh, again, inexplicably. And she just doesn't act like, Normal, like the, some of the things that she says, like, how do you like your tea? Do you want cream or sugar? Or do you want me to pee in it? <laughs> like that, that really struck me as, as what an odd thing to say. And, and that movie, the movie's kind of full with weird things and weird, like lines of dialogue that like, you know, butthead is used to several times in the movie. I mean, it's just fucking over the top. That's really all I can say about it. It's like, you know, and she's like, oh, how do you want your tea, you, you know, or do you want me to pee in it? And I'm just like, immediately, I'm like, oh, you're, you're, you're a bad girl, you know? Yeah, bad exactly. Uh, <laughs> and, they, you know, you, you see, like, this weird lady as her mother. The, her behavior is never explained. That's what I was uh, going to get to, man, because it's like, is yeah. she, she's, she doesn't partake in the, in the shunting, which is what they call this whole process at the end. And it's like, is she an alien? Is she an android? Or what, what the fuck is she actually? Yeah, I thought at the end, like, she'd fall over and, like, you know, like, her, her like, robot innards spill out something, anything to explain this, like, bizarre character that doesn't talk. And at one point, she appears to be eating hair um, for, for no reason. You don't know whose hair it is. It doesn't, like, pay off or come back around. It's just an odd I think it was, it's supposed to be kind of, I think it's supposed to be comical. Well, that's, that's the thing, man. There's like some really disturbing imagery in here. Then there's like funny stuff, like the butthead thing, obviously. Yeah. There's like, Um, but there's also like, there's almost this like interzone vibe to the film too. You know, like, like a movie that like divine would be in or something. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, almost. Yeah. And, uh, while we're still talking about Clarissa, there's a scene where um, uh, another person tries to alert Billy that something's off, the character of Petrie or something. Yeah. And they go to meet, and Billy finds uh, Petrie uh, dead, throat cut. And uh, he goes to Clarissa's house, and they call the cops. And there's a scene where like they're walking to, to the car. Clarissa's laughing. And you see her like laughing in the back. Did you did you notice that? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that has to do with anything, to be honest. But you know, it's there. It was such a weird. Again, I was like, oh, she's an alien. Maybe she doesn't really understand real human emotions. How she's supposed to act. But then she's getting frisked like seconds later, and she's super serious. Um, maybe there's a longer version of that scene where that makes sense. But man, like a, a, as it was, it was just weird, man. We, weird character. Well, the and, movie the movie is kind of a mess, definitely, you know. Yeah. But I think that yeah, when they when they wrote this thing, they they had the ending in mind first, you know, not not the ending ending, but the uh, the shunting scene, and they figured, you know what, this is this like nightmare I had, and I want to uh, build a movie around it because when that scene kicks off, it's like on, you know what I mean, and uh, yeah, and. It's the whole payoff of the movie, really. It goes on for quite a while, too. It's not like five minutes. It's like a good, like, it's like the last, you know, third of a movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, which is like structurally very, very bizarre, really, for any type of film to have that much uh, time devoted to that one set piece, you know? Yeah, but I mean, it is it is worth the payoff in, in, in this case. Yeah. It is totally worth like the hour of kind of structurally messy, like weird <laughs> like thing I'm, before it. I'm not, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to say, really, this is the reason why you should watch this movie. Like all this other stuff that we were talking about is incidental. It's a story, but it's all leading to this scene where we finally get to see what these society elites are really up to what they're all about. And uh, what it comes down to is uh, they haul out Blanchard, you know, who they reported as being dead, but he's actually alive and it's time to feed. So what, what ensues is this slimy flesh mass of dissolving bodies and all these society people, they just kind of congeal into this one mass of flesh and they absorb basically absorb Blanchard. Yeah, like, it, it's it's pretty unsettling, too. Like, it's a long, agonizing death for Blanchard. It looks and, like, uh, in, in some ways, it's, like, almost like pleasure and pain, indistinguishable, like in Hellraiser or something like that, where it's, like, he's obviously in pain, but there's, like, you can tell that the the society members are... are eating and they're feeding, but they're also possibly uh, getting some kind of sexual gratification out of it too. Oh yeah. I, I definitely got that, that vibe as well. Uh, but yeah, Blanchard seems terrified. He's sort of enduring. Like they don't eat like, you know, they're not like taking bites out of them. They're just sort of becoming part of him. And like all their skin starts to stretch and stick together. And then it's punctuated by the, the, the judge who I guess rams his fist up Blanchard's ass and through his face. <laughs> yeah. And even I, I assume he's dead at this point, but it, the, the, the shunting continues. Like it just becomes this big mass of like body parts and, and fluids and skin. It's, it's, it's quite an image. It's, <laughs> it is such a great scene. Never really seen anything like it. I remember thinking like, you know, there's a bit of video drone in this, you know, a little bit of reanimator, but I mean, there's really never been anything quite like that in a movie before. I agree, man. Or sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's my, kind of, yeah, I mean, the only things that come to mind are, you know, Reanimator, uh, you know, The Thing, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I read that um, the idea for the, for the scene uh, came from a nightmare that Yuzna had, and it was also influenced by the Dolly painting, The Great Masturbator, which mm. I, yeah, oh, okay. I, I didn't get a chance to look at that painting, but, uh oh. I'm imagining it's uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, um, the great master. I'll have to, <laughs> that 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 won't be uh, that won't be hard to forget. Um, there's a, there's a, even a few things great. The shunting scene, like Milo's there dressed as a cop trying to save uh, Billy. Milo keeps popping up in this movie in places where, like, what is he doing there? It's like, and then you mentioned before it's like a sexual thing. It's like, I think Milo is like in love with Billy. Yeah. That's the feeling like, I get too. And there it seemed to be like a subplot that got cut because uh, Milo and him are like best friends, but like Milo leaves a shrunken head in his locker, in Billy's locker, and then he leaves a sex doll in his Jeep. And doesn't it and, say uh, bitch on it or something like that? Yeah, it's just something like that. And like you think it's it's Shauna, his ex girlfriend, the blonde girl, 
but no, it's his best friend for no reason. Well, that that's why I and, was saying that I felt like that there was like some sexual tension and jealousy going on because of his uh, attention that he's given to uh, Clarissa. Yeah, that's yeah, that that's the logical explanation. But yeah, you have to connect those dots uh, yourself. And he teams up with the crazy mother and infiltrates the the shunting dressed as a cop. He doesn't seem horrified by what he's seeing, but you know, whatever. It's uh, also weird. The main course. It's also weird that he's just standing around and no one's really, no one really seems to care that he's there, like some stranger in a cop uniform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 bizarre. Um, but Billy's the main course or whatever. But he manages to escape and go upstairs, and we get some more cool special effects. You see, like the, the the mom and the dad, and like you know, she has hairy arms for legs, and the dad is. Uh, I, I I don't even know how to explain what the dad is supposed to be in this scene. Uh, he has his head through his ass. <laughs> yeah, like and, I, uh, I remember seeing this stuff back in like whatever, like '93 or whatever, when I saw this, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Even I, I'd never seen anything like this. It was like the stuff of nightmares, but it was still funny in a weird way too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's supposed to be played as funny, and. I guess the parents are up there because they were so turned on by the shunting. They had to go and uh, into their rooms <laughs> privately, yeah. I guess. Um, so, yeah. So, so Billy leaves the room. He gets dragged back downstairs. And this is where, uh, again, it gets kind of bizarre. He challenges Ferguson to, like, a duel. Yeah. Like, and instead of, like, eating Billy, they're like, okay, yeah, we'll have this little duel. Uh, and... He suggests, oh, you're here to save Carissa. But what does she need saving from? She's one of them. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense either. But, you know, obviously they he wants to be with her with whatever that means. You know, she's like a fucking alien. It's like, and <laughs> she seemed, they seem to nourish themselves by like, you know, uh, abs- absorbing humans. So what are you going to do? You're not going to go out and get like, uh, you know, an Italian sandwich or, with her and like a Coke or something, you know? <laughs> You're not gonna like. You're not gonna be able. It's not gonna be able to live on that stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, so this insane fight ensues. I guess these uh, creatures have super strength because Ferguson is just beating the shit out of Billy, um, and then kisses him, and that's how Billy gets the upper hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what basically what the the judge did to Blanchard, he does to Ferguson. Uh, he sticks Ferguson's own hand up through his ass, through his head, and turns him inside out. And I guess that's how you kill these things. Very specific way. Yeah, that's all it took. <laughs> yeah. And then he takes the girl. Everyone was just sort of like, let's Billy and the girl and, and sidekick Milo. Just, he just lets him leave. And before he leaves his call, he calls his dad a, a butthead one last time for, for good measure. His dad at this point looks like a lunatic, like his suits disheveled his hair's all over the place uh again i was like did i miss something did he get knocked down was in a fight why does he look like that oh yeah just all the sexiness man and uh you know all the flesh and everything he's all like you know he's all fucked up you know yeah and and abruptly the movie just sort of ends with them going like well i guess i have 
guess I'll need a new, what does he say? Oh, I guess uh, there's still an opening in Washington. Yeah, yeah. Which sort of like, you know, like I said earlier, was like, in, you know, indicates that this is the ruling class. This is the Illuminati. These are the, uh, you know, the reptilian overlords of everybody. You know? Yeah. I mean, I like that, that, that like at the end, the things weren't defeated, that like Billy's probably just going to be on the run for the rest of his life yeah. from these things. Cause they're probably, uh, everywhere. And it doesn't really offer a lot of explanations. It's just, it's just over. <laughs> and then, yeah. then the bad guys aren't defeated. I, I, I do like endings like that. But it was just so abrupt. It, it was a crazy movie, and uh, I've always had a real soft spot in my heart for this movie. And like I said, all these little subtexts that I threw in there have had like 20-something years to chew on all that. So that's why um, if any guys out there check this out and you're like, I don't know what the hell Mike's talking about. You know, I, I watch <laughs> this movie. I don't see it. But just keep in mind that I've had 20-something years to like, chew on this movie so that's where i came up with these things yeah i mean and i'm picking up on some of the things you're saying i mean like i said i only saw this movie the first time 10 years ago on this the second time i've seen it uh i certainly liked it better the second time i think the first time i had this expectations of like this like oh this is this lost classic and it's going to be great and i've been dying to see this since i was a kid and it just wasn't quite what i expected but this time around um had a little bit more fun with it and could enjoy it just for what it is kind of like a, a mess but but a fun watch and interesting ideas that don't quite connect there's also some other stuff in here too that uh, i mean this might just be me my lens through which i see this but you know like i said there's like an after school special aspect to it uh there's also a lot of the same and i'm not going to say this is like a david lynch movie but some of the absurd stuff in there reminds me of David Lynch films. And also, uh, there's a couple of elements, such as the blonde and dark-haired women, which mm. is always, in every Lynch film, there's, that, there's a dark-haired girl and a, and a blonde lady. And, the, you know, like Jeffrey Beaumont, right, in, in uh, Blue Velvet. There's, uh, you know... Right. There's... Uh, the two bl the two women, you know, that one's the good, pure, you know, blonde, all-American, whatever. And then there's the dark, dark-haired lady who's damaged and dark and alluring. And like he's fat, like obsessed with her, you know, the dangerous yeah. side of things. You know what I'm trying to say? No, absolutely. And, and it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility that David Lynch would be an influence on Brian uh, Yuzna. Yeah. You know, and there's even down to like there's a scene where um, where you, you get you get the idea that Shauna is not really, you know. She's not she's not coming across, you know, what I'm trying to say. When they're yeah. on the beach, <laughs> she's not, uh, you know, she's not coming across. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And then. You see him at his debate, and there's this like dark-haired like vixen spreading her legs, like showing her little panties to him and stuff. And she's like, right, you know, the forbidden fruit. You know what I'm trying to say? And uh, he follows yeah, no, that into, you know, potential ruin. And uh, that potential, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if any of this stuff is intentional, but that's how I see it. You know what I mean? Well, see, that's that's the thing is like you. you, you 
emphasis that more, you have a more interesting movie. Like I really feel like like this movie needed a a complete rewrite or a re-edit, and, and I, I think it would have been a lot better to develop those themes more than like I don't know, just like some of these goofy scenes that were in the movie for no reason. Yeah, you know, and, and you gotta you gotta remember it came. You know, this movie was made in like 1987 or something too, and you know, even even the best of these films have like a campiness to them sometimes. Yeah, they're very true. Um, but uh, I'm glad you you brought this up to, uh, to to talk about this. Is this is one of your picks? And uh, I hadn't thought about this movie in a in a long time, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, no, it's, it's always uh, it's always good enjoyable. To, always good to revisit this one. I think for me at least, you know. Yeah, it'll, it'll probably be another ten years before I see it again, but. Uh, <laughs> If you were to, uh, you know, final grade, what would you give it? I give it a three point five. You know. Yeah, I was gonna say three. Yeah. Um, but maybe I'll bump it up to three point five just to be on be on the same page because, uh, like we discussed, the movie's all over the place. Doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, it's slow, but it's never boring, and it has that absolutely outstanding ending. Without that ending, like the movie's like I don't know. Yeah, the movie's not stars one and a half. Yeah, it's not. It's nothing without that scene. But uh, yeah, you know, like I said, I I give it a three point five because I think for me personally, with my grading, it's like when you get to the three point five range, you you want to watch it again, and I've watched it like four like four times. So it's you know it's, it's it makes the minimum for me would be three point five. Yeah, it is absolutely worth seeing, and. You know, now because, you know, you saw it on Shutter, I saw it on Amazon, like, it's out there. Like, people people can see it now, whereas before, like I said, 10 years ago, I had to order a Region 2 copy to watch it. And little kind of obscure movies like this are kind of getting their, the attention that, that they deserve now. Like, um, you know, like, a movie like Waxworks, which is kind of forgotten, 80s horror gem, kind of, you know, and now it's on Amazon, and people who don't normally watch stuff like that can watch it, and 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 this movie, as well. Yeah, no, totally, man. And uh, you know, for those of you who have Shutter, you can check it out on Joe Bob's uh, show, and you can have his commentary along with Darcy, the male male girl, and uh, it's it's kind of fun doing that. Yeah, I, I gotta I gotta check that out. Yeah, man. Right on. So uh, Necromaniac says, check it out, man. This is uh, uh, definitely something to, um, to, to check out. And, uh, you know, like I said, this isn't like uh, Citizen Kane, obviously, but it's uh, pretty fun. Absolutely. I uh, completely agree. And, uh, you know, it doesn't hurt maybe have a beer or something like that. You watch this with your friends, uh, laugh a little. You know, it's, I don't think it's meant to be taken too seriously. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Take care, everyone. Danger, 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 danger. The wave your chamber. Danger, 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 danger. The wave your chamber. Danger, 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 danger. Enter the wave your chamber. Danger, danger, danger. It's major. Enter the wave your chamber. Tonight is dark. You feel fear. You're lost, cold, and confused But I'm in prayers afraid of a beast that stalked the earth You're bringing the Jesus across the world <laughs> I've seen you tight before You're
breaking all the laws, but scared to go to war. Timid and frail, wide faith, got your geese. Get stoned the truth and adorn your beliefs. Are you aware, son? There's nowhere to hide, nowhere to run. When reap comes with a dangerous tongue, I'm out of control like young kids with guns. Words distorted in the murderous thoughts. My profile is nasty, it's maggots and pork. I'm dark and damp, enough to rust ants with the jaws of a vamp or a rust. I be the Bushwick Dutch master rapper. I love black women and I hate fucking crackers. Check me out. My breath stink cause I smoke skunk, punk. Every day of the month and a Dutch master fucking blunt. Bust the cliche. Niggas talking he say, she say about me, you bitch ass niggas. Y'all not ass, y'all titty. Y'all style is shitty. How dare you try to represent New York fucking city? I've been down since BBDs and do rags, shell tops and shags. I was a little badass with regular and tray bags. Always trying to get shit I never had. Cause times is bad like luck. That's why I don't give a fuck. I dig up my nose and my butt on the bus or the train. This is for niggas walking in the rain. Listening to they walk main. Talking to New York fucking slang. Danger, danger. Danger, danger. Danger, danger. Danger, danger. It's the graveyard chamber. In the streets of New York. Bullshit walk cream talks. I be the giant on the top of your beanstalk Waving iron flags Dagging crap niggas with bloody rags Holding fat bags, taking heavy drags Then I add more shells to the mags Shots going off, you getting caught like tag The diamond crystal, I'll be ripping up your flesh tissue They have my pinball, blocking all your bone gristle Casting shadows on every battle Unravel words like Scrabble Drag your brain through the gravel At the speed of sound around travel Allow me to dabble with a flow that's infallible Maintain your order, cause once I slaughter I destroy the whole city like Sodom and Gomorrah or Babylon I'm running shit like a marathon Niggas wasn't done with a set like Frank Avalon Shabazz is here to cause panic Another fucking madman born to the planet Sending niggas to the pearly gates I'm psyched out, I got screws loose like Norman Bates Shoot shit up like it's a gallery Blowing snakes' heads off to earn me a salary Devils choke from the gun smoke Once I'm provoked, I shove a fifth bone down your throat And let you taste the steel Another body unidentified, shit from the potter's field Your punk ass will get out drumming I'm swelling devil's melon for my man Fart Muhammad Get a crew and try to surround me And one by one I light you up and send your asses to Kings County Sort of a morgue supplier You want a nigga bang? Fuck Spencer, bass for Make hire room the masculine gatekeeper Kick suspense in a terrified form to keep you warm Your head stuck, niggas get wrenched up on a rock Licks a whiplash, bodies get smashed So let the bound cannon go and erupt destruction Dripped on, niggas is getting flipped on Yeah, coming after ya I, I only got half of ya Other part frozen Alaska Wild to find the feats of high beam Ghost of a drunk fiend On physical dreams I breathe steam Thoughts of brutonic, the chronic scripture Angles and rips ya, I get ya Yo, I smash like a comic Punish to drain ya I stalk the face like a leopard The microphone shepherd And speaking parables One or two Catch it The brain counselor Track fertilizer The fertilizer You never heard of wiser Open heads like the archives Allow me to explain my brain in the dark side I strike your beam and watch it gleam I'm solar, steadfast, patient like Noah The rap cypher, be the enlightener Prey upon the weak, the strong, I'm the sniper And like that ass like gasoline I dig through your chest like a jar of Vaseline I leave your brain regurgitating, cramping Until your rhymes are evaporating I clip up a nigga's thoughts 
with a pool of zodiac signs And I slowly attack the mind The killer priest will bend your ideas I see you cry in fear There's no surviving here Danger, 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 danger,